If talking about new travel destinations or discovering the latest travel gadgets gets your heart racing just like mine, well then, you are in the right place. Hello there, I'm Katrina Rountree and welcome to another episode of Journeys to Come, our podcast about the wonders of travel, a place where we share memories from recent trips and we dream about upcoming adventures. So get your passports ready and join me for Journeys to Come. Bonjour and welcome to another episode of Journeys to Come. This week on the show, we are chatting to my friend and fellow passionate traveller, Gabrielle Gatte. You know the name. I know you love the voice. The chef with an international reputation as an author, a, a TV presenter, a cooking teacher, a, a, just a lover of gastronomy, travel, food, the whole bag. Born in the Loire Valley of France, which I think just sounds lovely, this is where Gabrielle's father grew all the family's fruit and veggies and made wine from the small family vineyard. Gabrielle learned the joys of eating and cooking from his mum and his grandmother, who were excellent cooks. As a young man, Gabrielle had the chance to learn to cook from some of the finest French chefs. He worked in two, three Michelin-star restaurants before coming to Australia in 1977 with his great love, his Melbourneian-born wife, Angie. We'll hear more about her in a second. He has since established himself as one of the country's leading communicators on food and cooking. This is something that many believe they are, but few, few rise to the top and remain as Gabrielle has. Gabrielle is the author of 23 cookbooks, including French Cuisine for Australians, Good Food for Men, and How to Teach Kids to Cook, and many, many more, of course. He's presented cookery shows on television for the past 35 years, and over the last 10 years, he has produced and presented one of the most successful shows on the SBS, uh, Taste La Tour with Gabrielle Gattet, a series of gourmet segments on French food and wine screened on SBS during the Tour de France bicycle race in July every single year. So, Gabrielle, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I don't know where this conversation is going to go because you and I seem to <laughs> talk about everything for extended periods of time. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks a lot. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on your show. I, I wanted to begin with a, a sentence that makes me dream, and that's you were born in the Loire Valley. Can we, can we dive into that first? Tell Absolutely. us about... Absolutely. Well, the Loire Valley is, uh, is one of the great regions of France because it has got a river. You know, that's, you know people don't realise how mm. the importance of, of rivers in the gastronomic world or in, in a country. We know. We know in Australia that we are suffering from not having enough water. And it is because of the water that France is such an amazing country. Uh, amazing for food, amazing for wine. You need you need water. You need a temperate climate. So the Loire Valley was. Uh, I've never thought about it from that oh, perspective. It is everything. I, I, I tried to, to not interrupt you. Bordeaux. Uh, of course, uh, this Alsace. makes so much sense. Yes, yeah. Uh -huh. and, and remember that also uh, the river. They were the the way of transporting things. Uh -huh. So before uh, the car. Uh, Traveling, uh, bringing food, wine, uh, wit, 
it was always on the river. And now I'm thinking about yes. it. I'm like, of course, the Nile, the Nile, of the course. main artery yes. that goes through Africa. Everything centres around that, and that's where you get some of the most, uh, you know, magnificent oh, cultures and whatnot. That's okay. Fine. Okay. So, so the river. So, uh, also the Loire is not very far compared to other places. Not very far from Paris, but it has got a, a mild. Uh, climate. So the kings of France and, uh, well, you know, the, the noblesse of, of France, they loved the, the Loire Valley to, uh, to spend their holidays because there was a, a very large river, um, a, a milder climate, uh, more pleasant uh, than, uh, say, than Paris in summer, and also not uh, not too far, so they mm -hmm. could with with horse and carriage they could, you know, in in a day or two, uh, reach the Loire Valley very mm -hmm. easily. So there's lots of chateaux because at that time, you know, talking a few hundred years ago, if you were somewhere important in France, you needed to have your holiday not very far from the kings. In the same way as now, maybe people would go on not far from Cannes or would go to uh, the Côte d'Azur mm -hmm. or, or somewhere else in the world. So uh, the Loire Valley was, uh, you know, it's historically very important with magnificent chateaus, a beautiful region, uh, a river, uh, and also magnificent wines and glorious food because in France, the Loire Valley is known as the Garden of France, le Jardin de la France, ah. because because the river is very wide, it's not a fast river. You know uh, from uh, the, the jobs not going on the rivers that there is, no, uh, there is no cruise on the Loire Valley because in summer there's just not enough, enough water. water right. Because the river is very large, but there's lots of little affluents and islands and things like that. So it's very wide, but very low. So not enough for, uh, for traveling, but uh, to travel in the Loire Valley, uh, you How know, do you normally by, by get around? Car, by well, car, uh, lots of cycling groups. Uh, and bicycles yes. too, of course. It's lots of for. walking tours in the mm. Loire Valley. And, and of course, uh, the train. You know, uh, you know uh, people forget how important the train is is in Europe I gotta to go from you, one place French to another. The French have mastered it, oh, though. So well. Why, why do they get it right and we get it wrong? What can we learn from them? Because we just cannot do it. It's too expensive. It will never work. Uh, even to have a, a in, in Melbourne to have a train from the centre to the airport has almost been impossible so far, that. because there is some vested interest in car parking and stopping people doing so this. So political or that. now, yes, literally. It, it's political, and then, um, but the train not only there's there's so many lines, mm. and you know like it takes. Uh, uh, three hours to go from Paris to Marseille. Mm. People go for lunch in Lyon because mm. it's the capital of Amazing. gastronomy. People used to go to Paul Bocuse, I still do, okay. take a, you know, the train at 10 o'clock in Paris, do some other business meeting in the train because there's tables and you can work. Mm. And, and, and the food, Mag, look, I'm sorry, but I just have to say the food on the trains, I love yes. it. You, yes. you have a little cheeky wine when you're on your journey. They bring the food Absolutely. out. It's comfortable. Oh. You, you know, like, uh, and the business class, if you, for example, book from Australia, it's not expensive. Mm, no. And it is secure, plenty of, of room for your luggage, and it's comfortable. You see the countryside of France, and you can start from the middle of Paris and get to the middle of Lyon. Mm. in two hours, and then you get to Aix-en-Provence in three, three you know, and a bit hours. 
Marseille the centre. I wanted to ask you though, Gabriel, before we, we're, we're literally going off on a tangent about trains, but I'm curious about your home life. And, and uh, I, I, I think I'm asking this question because I'm fascinated by the seeds that are planted um, with children and, and how they'll come to fruition now that I've, I've got two little boys. And I, I so often will interview people that have respectfully gone on to great success and they will refer back to their childhood and those seeds. Tell us about uh, about this, this this garden that you grew up in. Well, uh, a garden for anybody living in my village was very important. If someone came from another town and is, wanted to live in the village and didn't grow their vegetables, people would look at them and say, look at that. Mm -hmm. They're not growing their vegetables. Mm. They're lazy. It was like unheard. Right, right. And, and a so, point of shame if you hadn't mastered almost, it. Almost, almost. You know, it's ridiculous looking at it. But so everyone had a piece of land and people didn't grow lawn, but you grew your vegetables. But when I say growing vegetables, uh, sometimes in Australia, people say, come and see my vegetables. And there's the three plants of tomatoes and the, <laughs> the 12 uh, bunch of this. Uh, growing vegetables in my family for there was five kids my grandmother lived with us so plus two parents it was eight people you are talking about uh, you know like uh, you were uh, self-sufficient uh, two or three hundred plants of potatoes you are talking about you know, 30 tomato plants wow. for the whole summer and the, you know, that there would be some excess because they're all wrapped together. That would be transformed, bottled. Mm, beans, stored. for example. Bean was really interesting. We, we grew lots of beans. The French people, it's the, you know, we call them French beans here, mm. love their beans. You know, like uh, if you have a steak in France, you might have some potatoes and some beans. Beans mm. would be the... So we grew lots of beans and they were more or less already at the same time, not you know, within two or three weeks. We would um, harvest them. My mother would bottle some. And then we would take like 20 kilos to the local cannery. There was a small cannery. And they would can it, can the beans for us mm. for the winter months. Because in winter, in the Loire Valley where I was, it was like minus five or, or sometimes more. And we whinge in Australia in the at garden. 14. Yeah, Wait. nothing in the garden. So. You had everything ready. You had your vegetables. It's not because there was nothing growing that we didn't eat our vegetables. They were the carrots that were in the cellar under the sand. There was the beans that had been bottled and, and also uh, canned. There was some uh, celery. There was lots of things that have been preserved for, for those win the more difficult winter months. And you had a vineyard too. We had a vineyard because that was fairly, it's the region. So um, what happened is that the background of my father, they, they were farmers, and then over the years, everybody inherited a small parcel, and so we finished up with 500 uh, vines, which was more than enough for us. So we made wine, I've made wine with my father, and we would swap, you know, 12 bottles of wine for three boxes of apple or, you know, you would, there would be some exchange or alpha pig or something like wow. that. Mm. And you would transform that into charcuterie or something like that. So who taught you how to cook? My grandmother had been uh, a cook in a, in a wealthy family when she was young. Uh, my, my grandmother was a very good cook and she lived with us, but she, um, so she had been 
a, a cook, and she was famous in the village for mm. cooking. People would ask her to come to their place to cook for a birthday or a communion or something like that. But she was slightly, she was handicapped. She, she had fallen from a bicycle when she was young. It was not well fixed. So we used to help her. Uh, like she could not carry a big pot of mm. some, you know, mm -hmm. like the soup mm -hmm. from the, the, the stove to the sink. So we did that for her or we would go and get things for her. And uh, so she was beautiful. She was just one of those sweet grandmother that loved her grandchildren mm. and wanted to encourage them to be happy. And so we, uh, all of us in my family, we just love cooking because it was a positive experience. You learnt by doing. Yes. So... I, I must ask, because I know it's been one of your books, how do you teach children how to cook? Well, to start with, you need to encourage them to contribute in a, in a positive way. So it should be a game to start with. Uh -huh. Like uh, I've got a five-year-old grandson, and we, uh, we make cake. So in, his role would be to, to pour the sugar in a bowl that is on top of the scales, because it's lots of fun, to measure one cup of water, to, store, to stir the pot, to, uh, to push the button uh, you know, of the oven to, to get the temperature. When the alarm goes off, it is the one that needs to turn it off. You, know, like you, you make it uh, positive things, mm. but you have got to do it before they are teenagers. Okay, okay, great, okay. Yeah, that's really important. Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a teaching to kids to cook is from a very young age to, to primary school, uh, early. It's just interesting listening to you because I grew up in a similar home to you with my grandmother, four children, with my parents, but the experience in the kitchen was the direct opposite. It was chaos. And it was normally my mum going, get out, get out, I know. trying that, to cope. It is more Australian than French, that attitude. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The French people, it's a tradition to, to share from one generation to another. It, it was in the Anglo-Saxon, but at some stage, people became a little bit too busy. But uh, like from time to time I go to, in schools and I, I talk about the importance of uh, teaching kids to peel. You know, mm -hmm. using a peeler to peel ca a carrot, an apple, a potato is a very, very important skill. And when I go to schools, there's lots of uh, kids in, in your, you know, the last year of primary school that have no idea how to hold a peeler to really peel anything. So it's it's... It's basic a basic stuff. skill. It's yes. a basic skills. Uh, parents tend to think that they need to teach a dish to kids. You don't need to teach a dish. You need to, to involve them in steps of cooking. That means stirring something, measuring something when they are young. And then little by little, you know, like you, you ask a child to mix a salad dressing mm. for you. So, you know, squeeze a lemon and put the lemon juice and put a little bit of salt and pepper and pour, you know, three tablespoons of olive oil into that and that's a, so you it's step by step you mm -hmm. know there's a level even as an adult i tell people you have got to learn dishes that are at your level mm. if you want to be encouraged to to go further may i ask have you written a book about your grandmother i have mentioned her in many articles and talked about her i think there's a book in that it I sounds know, I'm already drawn into the story you know uh, writing books is a difficult business to we have whinged together. <laughs> you, you know what? I was a very successful author, 
you know, seriously successful. 23 have, books. Yeah, and, and three of them, the total sale, we're talking 20 years ago, were more than half a million copies together. So that yeah, was that's, serious. That's a lot. But because, uh, without realizing, I was young mm -hmm. and I was the flavor of the time. Mm. So now, to, to be very successful with a book, you need to be the, the flavor of the time. As a chef, for me, I have had my time. Mm -hmm. So I'm not complaining. I, I have had the chance to... And you, and you milked it, pardon the pun. And it was, yeah. well, I, it was my job. I, was, I didn't have a restaurant. I had to make a living. So basically, as a freelancer, I created my own work for, for 30 years, 40 years. Mm. So, what a gift. So, people, uh, so I didn't have the burden of a restaurant. Want more travel in your day? Well then, join us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Just search for Journeys to Come and follow us. And while you're there, hey, how about you share your own travel pics and stories with the hashtag Journeys to Come. When you talk about the, the childhood that you had in the Loire Valley, yes. and as I say, you, you talk about it and, and you start to dream, I'm, I'm with you. So I must ask the question, why did you leave? Well, to start with, when you are, uh, I became a chef. I decided to become a chef when I was 16. And I was lucky to be introduced to the best chef of the region. And we talked and he employed me practically on the spot. He said, at 16? I need someone at 16. That was the, the age to start. So we are talking 48 years ago. Is that That's all? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I had a, a really good model. And then uh, it was very common as a young chef in France to do your apprenticeship. Most great chefs in France came from the countryside. Mm -hmm. Mostly didn't come from Paris. Mm. You know. They ended There's up more, in Paris. They ended up in Paris. Uh, so the, the pattern was you did your apprenticeship in a region. You learned about that region because that's what you cooked. And then after that, you wanted to go to Paris because... Uh, you were almost, you know, 18, 19, 20. You wanted the big city and you wanted to work with the really glamorous chef and mm. big houses. So I did that, which was really wonderful. You know, I worked in a great seafood restaurant in Paris. And, you know, it's good to learn to the sophistication of a big city, the sophistication of the... The diners in Paris, the expectations. What did they want? How would they like to be served? Oh, what did they, they need? In, in the region, people come and taste the region. The, the, in the Loire Valley, people came to taste the Atlantic salmon mm -hmm. because we got the wild salmon from the Atlantic. They came to taste the local asparagus, the local strawberries, the beurre blanc sauce, the, the, special, the specialties of dessert. In Paris, they want a modern restaurant. Even mm -hmm. 40 years ago, they wanted the chef that was creative. They wanted the chef that was brilliant, but, but creative. So, they, so it's very different. Having worked in all those different restaurants and yet not having one of your own, can you see what goes into creating a successful restaurant? Oh, absolutely. Yes. It, at the very top, you have got to be yourself. You have got to be creative and you have got to Nowadays, and that, that's what I, I hope I can share with the younger chef, you have got to be a very good communicator. There's some really good, good chefs that don't reach those, that top because they are terrible communicators mm -hmm. on a human Yes. Basis. Look, Jamie Oliver, is a, he has been a wonderful young communicator that, that, that worked well for his generation. Mm. You could not say that Jamie is 
the best of chef. He's a, he's a good chef. Yeah, he's he a good says cook. that. Yeah. He, he does wonderful modern, you know, dishes for for home. But he's let's say he's not as a good chef as Gordon Ramsay. Yes. You you could say that, uh, but yes. Gordon has communicated in a different way. He was <laughs> given an image. Yes. Of, yes. You know, I mean, you know the business. You, you you have got your image that you that is important for you. You're very careful. You nurture that image. I have my image because I didn't even have to worry about it. I'm French, I've got uh, an accent, I know France. I, I have been lucky to work with chefs that taught me to communicate. So, you know, I didn't have to compete. I was never compared to mm. someone else. Nobody mm. says Islam is like Bernard King or Graham Kerr or is like Neil Perry or something like that. And that's because you've had the courage yeah. to back yourself in a funny way, to be yeah, authentic. Yeah, I was just being myself. I just... and. Little by little, of course, you're giving opportunities that give you the, the opportunity to reach one more step in your career. You know? What is it like to work in a Michelin star restaurant? Physically extremely demanding. Um, you need a lot of discipline, a lot of concentration. You need to uh, be courageous. Um, you miss on all the special occasions because you are working. But we always say it is not really harder to work in a busy uh, good restaurant than to work in a busy bad restaurant. Mm. But like me, I was lucky to, with my first job as a 16-year-old, to learn with a master. So, so I, I could only understand good cooking. Mm. I have never worked in a level. bad restaurant. Yeah, mm. no so, bad habits. So from one restaurant, from a good restaurant, you work to you want to work with in another good or better restaurant and better and better. So you do that, but it is you work hard. But after a while, it's like a language. You know, like foreign language is very difficult for many people, especially for Anglo-Saxon. Mm. And but once you have reached a level of fluency, it's a pleasure. Mm -hmm. Like in your work, you know. We start this talking. You are so natural, so fluent. It's a joy to listen to you. And someone else will have to start six times. They will have to. They won't feel confident. They will have to re-ask the question and things like that. And in cooking, you become fluent, and it's you can have a bad day. Huh? You can, you can People have a bad day. make movies, write books about the stress and pressure. Of, of achieving those stars. Do you feel that? Do you feel that intensity yes, when you're yeah. working there? Yeah. But not only that, you need to, have the, to be in the right place. So you need to be a modern chef to, to reach the stars. You, nowadays, a young chef cooking classic cuisine will never get to, to a high level. Would, would have a successful restaurant somewhere, but not the, the ultimate, the two or three stars are reached by chefs that are modern, that are good communicator, and that have found a very special place mm. to open a restaurant. That's a joy to go to. On the side of the lake, in a touristy place, in a place where there's traffic, where there will be enough people for them to, to be able to, for a number of years, to lose money. Many of the three-star chefs are making more money with their endorsement than the restaurant mm -hmm. because they have got, they serve uh, 40 people and they have got 
faulty stuff. That's an element that I love, though, as a traveller. Build it and they will come. You can actually create a beautiful restaurant, for example, like the Lake House in Dalesford or going um, to the Grampians for the Royal Mail. I love that concept. Of and, and, of course, um, Europeans have, have, have gifted us this. Yes. Where if you've got that beautiful, as you say, the location, the food, yes, yes. the service, the character... People will travel for that. I love that element. And, and you know, there is a story behind that uh, in France is that the, all the great restaurants for a long time, they were between Paris and Marseille and they were all on the side of the national set, which was the main road. So Michelin, you know, like we talk about the Michelin Guide, Michelin encouraged people to drive from one uh -huh. restaurant to another and people on their way to their weekend in the south of France or somewhere, they would stop and have lunch in those restaurants. So there was a continuation of good restaurants on the road, you know. Uh, so the, that's why Michelin established their guide. Basically, their business was to sell tire. Uh, but they <laughs> establish a guide that, Sorry, that is course. extremely The penny's dropping. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, but, yeah, the location is, is super important. And, you know, you, you need to, to start small and you grow. And, uh, but it is it's demanding. It's, uh, you know, there's, it breaks marriages also. Mm. <laughs> you How know? come you never opened your own restaurant? Angie, my wife, was uh, didn't... You know, she had her own career. She was not interested in becoming a restaurateur or restauratrice. So I, I just uh, ran, you know, she, she has always helped me and been encouraged. And we sold the cookbooks because she's a linguist and, and language teacher. She was able to um, go through my text and help me with mm -hmm. the stories and things. She was my editor. Wow. And she did it very well and enjoyed doing that. So if you want, she has contributed enormously to our success. Uh, but she, she didn't want to be working in a restaurant. And I decided myself that Great. I would Good not have know. a restaurant if my wife was not involved, my partner was not involved. Happy because, wife, happy life. Well, you know, you come back every night at midnight. I visited one of my friends in the city, uh, Philippe Mouchel, who is a fabulous chef in Melbourne. And, you know, he was there, you know, this morning and he was there last night. Mm. And he will be there tonight, late, and so it's, it's a hard work. It's a hard life. It's maybe it's making me think about um, the the current challenge that we have, certainly in Australia, um, about the stress that chefs yes. do go through. You're painting a very clear picture. A few top chefs in the last few years in Australia have taken their life. Yeah, yeah. and that is basically yeah, what you've just explained to us: yeah, it's, the incredible it's very pressure. Hard. And if uh, people start taking drugs to Cope, yes, yeah. or, or you know, including alcohol, then mm. it becomes even more difficult because uh, it be, as you get older, it gets harder, and um, yeah, so you need to be healthy mm -hmm. to be a top chef. I don't know why I'm obsessed with this, but um, can you tell us about Angie? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I met Angie in Paris okay. in 1976, she was a um, she was already, she's, she's, she's a number of years older than me, and she was already a language teacher. But when, when we met, she was doing a course of, of French civilization in, in Paris at the university. Angie, who is from? She's from uh, Melbourne. Yeah. Yeah, and she, before that, she had traveled. And she was she's not from the Great Ocean Road, is she? No. No, no, that's, no. Okay, we'll get to that bit. Yep. No, <laughs> we, uh, we have a place in Queenscliff, but we... Uh, 
uh, we, we met in Paris, and she's from Melbourne. She's, she was um, born around Hockley, and oh, she okay. studied at Monash University, and, uh, and she, she taught, um, she lived in various states in Australia and taught And how did you meet? We met through a friend. When I, uh, in, um, I know we, you know, you're into travel, and uh, I had my 90th birthday in Paris. I had my 20th birthday when I was working in London. I had my 21st birthday when I did my national service in Baden-Baden. Uh, I had my 22nd birthday in Paris because I wanted to go back to Paris to work in a top restaurant. Mm -hmm. And when I came back from doing my national service in Baden-Baden, in I wanted to share an apartment with English-speaking people because okay, I okay. could see the importance of, of speaking English as a chef. I could see that because the top chefs that I'd worked with, most of them regretted not being able to speak English, including Paul Bocuse, the, you know, oui, the ultimate oui, French oui, chef. Oui. And, um, so I wanted to share an in, in Paris, it's like in Melbourne now, as a young person, you need to share. You won't be able to, to afford mm -hmm. a place on your own. So it was and, a tactical move. So yeah, I, and, and actually I didn't find anybody that wanted, that was English or American or Australian, but I found a French girl that had just come back from Sweden and she wanted to do the, the same thing as me, so we joined force. And she had an Australian friend that was in Sweden with her, and that was Angie. So we met, I was looking, we met just like that through a friend. And we, uh, no, we, you know, we Clicked. simply. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And tell us about the journey to Australia. How do we connect there? Well, uh, Angie, uh, once we decided we wanted to spend time together, Angie want, was ready to come back because an Australian in Paris, it's not easy. She was only able to stay because she, she was an au pair okay. at that time. She was a 20-year-old, 28-year-old au pair. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and already she, had been, she was a language teacher. She has been teaching for a number of years. Gift of an au pair. Uh, yeah, because uh, the, the family was thrilled to have a <laughs> mature woman like, like her. Um, but she could not, you know, there was no working permit. There's no working holiday visa like now. So, mm. so she had to leave. So we went to... Uh, to England, where, where it was a bit easier for her to, to stay. I got a job in England. She could not get a job as a language teacher. We went to Oxford uh, because I got a job in Oxford as a chef. Uh, so we basically had to come to Australia. Okay. Uh, so almost a year after we met, we, we came to Australia and as a chef, and that's really the topic, your topic as a chef, uh, you're always traveling in your head. You're traveling with ingredients. And as a French chef, you can work anywhere in the world, even if you don't speak the language very well. That's something that we share. We share our love of travel, of, of food, of traveling course. Traveling is so special. How does it inform what you do every day? Well, um, you know, with, with food, for example, you're using ingredients, like, uh, let's say cocoa, Cocoa comes from tropical countries, mm. you know. When you're a chef, you want to visit where, where, cocoa it, come is, from? where it come from. You want to visit uh, some, a cheesemaker in France that makes the best cheese. Uh, you want to find out, you know, how good is that nougat glacé in Avignon or, you know, and that, so uh, with chef, you are, you are traveling with ingredients all the time. You are, mm -hmm. you are, 
these th themes in your head. Uh, you, I want to cook a dinner from Provence. I want to cook a dinner from Brittany. I want to. So basically, I think traveling is in the blood of, of a chef. And for me, as a young chef, a young modern chef, I realized that traveling was really part of of you know be, becoming better, becoming more open. And and there's no when it comes to cooking, you should not put too many barriers, you know, saying, of course, some chefs can decide, I am going to only cook things that are 10 kilometers around me. Mm. And, and that is admirable. But that would stop you from using from some cognac in your food and from serving a glass of champagne to your guests and from having a, a Stilton on your cheese board, you know. Travel is often best shared with friends and family. So please share this podcast with your travel companions and make sure you subscribe to our podcast feed wherever you collect your podcasts. Is that a point of difference that you found uh, in Australia uh, as opposed to, to France where it seems to be uh, in Europe so ruled by tradition and, yes. and pardon the pun, rule books yeah. uh, and, and, and sticking to that guide where I think think the joy of coming here is the rule book well we don't even have a rule book to throw out yeah we're creating it as we go it is it that's right um the, there's the influence of many many countries the only thing is that of course you you are likely to to eat the same meal in melbourne than you will in in cairns or something uh -huh. like that so the joys of France is, uh, you know, all those regions. more regional. Yeah, way. same as Italian, uh, were established, you know, before transport. So the, the food was really strong, very local. The food of Normandy was different from the food of Brittany. There are two magnificent regions in France, you know, like I always tell people, you need to visit those regions on the seafood and things like that. People work a lot more on what they have. Like, for example, um, you go to Gippsland, which is a great region in, in, uh, in Victoria. And if you ask people what's the specialty of Gippsland, mm. very few people will mention, will mention seafood. Mm -hmm. They will mention the, the lamb, the beef. They will mention the mm. cheese and so on. And yet, it is the largest coastal area in Victoria. So that's something that we can, we can learn. So in a sense, I love the fact that we don't have the rule book, but we talk about the success of gastronomy in in, in, as you say, in France and Italy and wherever, and we always talk about seasonal, but it's also important to remember and to celebrate regional. Very important. Like, um, uh, if I go to Alsace, I, I want to have food from the region. Mm -hmm. Alsace is one of the great regions of France also. It's one of my favorite regions. You know, it's one of my first, my, maybe my five top regions. Where do you go? France. What do you do? Let's pick that just for the fun oh, of it. Oh, Alsace. Well, mm. to start with, the, the architecture is, is very beautiful. You know, those hilltop villages. It's a little bit like Germany, you know, when you are, you go from Budapest to Amsterdam and you stop to your, those villages mm. and that are just amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, on the, on the scenic cruise, it's the same, you know, in Alsace. There's all those hilltop villages. The wines are extraordinary. There's some of the best Riesling in the world, some of the best uh, Pinot, Pinot Gris, Pinot Blanc. I'm getting really hungry and, and thirsty. The, <laughs> the markets of Alsace, are, there's uh, half a dozen local cheeses. There's, um, they, they have their cooking of their own, but it's a very, uh, it's a region that is, you could say, very central in Europe. You know, the, mm. uh, Strasbourg is one of the places of the European 
commission. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, uh, the, a good restaurant in Alsace, uh, they're usually very successful because they've got uh, German clients, they've got Dutch clients, they've got Swiss clients and French. So in terms of uh, places, it's very sophisticated. And there's the Christmas markets also in Alsace uh, that, that are extraordinary. You know, Alsace is not just the summer, it's the winter, it's the snow, it's the, you know, the postcard mm. villages with a bit of snow and uh, that warm food, that uh, you know, rustic place. If somebody wants to put aside, let's just say for the fun of it, a week in France, yes. What would, you, what would you recommend? Well, of course, you have got to consider whether it's a family or, or someone that is traveling by car or, or someone that, uh, that is mobile or things like that. But mm -hmm. let's say if you start in Paris uh, and you have never been to France, you have got to stay a few days in Paris. Mm. There's no doubt about that. And stay in the center of Paris. And what I tell people, because I have... I, I'm sure half a dozen people I've talked to that have been caught. Australia, there's some... Some people, when they go somewhere, like you fly from, from Australia to, to Paris, they want to take the public transport to, to go from Paris, from the airport to their hotel. I said, no, you have already spent several thousand dollars with yeah. your airfare. Yeah. Take a taxi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, several people, not only in Paris, but in Rome and other places, they take the public transport and they get their wallet stolen because they are tired, Great because they're the baby trip. boomers, yes. because they've got two big suitcases, they're awkward, they're a target. Mm. So just get a taxi in Good the tip. center of Paris and then, yes, take the metro, discover the place. When you relax and you've yes. slept. And of course you stay in the center. After that, if I was, a week in France is not a lot, but certainly uh, let's say that if you had a car or even take the train, you could go to, to Reims, Mm -hmm. because there's a wonderful cathedral. For, for the uh, champagne. For the champagne. Right. There's the champagne house. And how do I pronounce food. this again? Because, of course, we always say Reims. Or people say, wait. I say, it is, yeah, yeah, It yeah. is Reims. Oh. So you don't push it too much. Reims. Reims. Okay. It's very difficult. <laughs> Thanks. It's very, it's one of the... The town that people have difficulties, but it's kind of fun yes, too. Yeah. Yes. So yes. you can go that way, and perhaps you could go then to. Uh, it, it, to just, just out of interest, uh, yes. if you if you are short on time when you go to Hans, yes, yeah. Which would be the one winery or champagne house that you would choose? Oh, I probably would go to Pommery. Ah, uh, Madame Pommery. Oui, Madame Pom the reason is that they have got notes. the most, one of the most amazing underground cellar. And they have got a gallery in the cellar. They ask, they commission really? artists every year or every two years to, to do sun and light shows on the walls or amazing paintings. And they are commissioned just for that. And it is just amazing. And just opposite Pommery, there is a restaurant called Le Chateau des Crayères, which is just an amazing place. It's a, one of the best restaurants in France. It's just like you cross the road um, it's one of my favorite restaurants. I've taken groups there. Mm -hmm. I'm going to the Loire. To the Loire Valley. For the first time. You have never been to no, the Loire. No, which is why I'm asking so many questions. Okay. Yes, yeah. Well, uh, to start with, if you travel by car, let's say, you, 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 have, got, you have been to Chartres? No. Chartres. Chartres is <laughs> south of Paris. It's one hour from... There's the most amazing cathedral. After Notre Dame, okay. Chartres is lovely. If you go in the summer at night in Chartres, 
there's about 30 or 40 buildings that are illuminated with music and things like that. It, in summer in France, it has become the norm. Like we have the vivid and white nights. The, is it the white night that we have got here? Mm. It's the whole summer in those places from the months of May. We have filmed it with my show, you know, to to probably September or October. So um, to go to the Loire Valley, if it's you stop somewhere, there's Chartres. And then after that, you get to the Loire. So the Loire, there's a number of towns that, that you can go. There is uh, Amboise. There's the, the chateaux. The great chateaux to visit is Chenonceau. The Chenonceau is really, um, is, it's, they call it the Chateau des Dames because the king had his, his wife and then his, his lover after uh, later living in that chateau. It's, Chenonceau is, uh, is, is just wonderful. And there is Chambord. Mm -hmm. But there's also towns like Blois, B-L-O-I-S, that are really lovely. Just so people know, I am sitting here taking <laughs> Yes, you're planning your holiday. Absolutely, absolutely. But uh, really... Um, oh, when I'm in the Loire, yes, okay, you, you talked about before, okay, when we go to Gippsland, make sure we have some seafood. When I go yes, to the Loire, what must I have? Well, it is the fish of the river, the salmon, the pike. Uh -huh. It is... Uh, you know, the, the chicken, the vegetables, the fruits of the region. It's a very lovely uh, country cuisine. It's not too heavy. You know, like uh, there's cuisines that are heavier than others, but let's say if you go to Dordogne, you know it's going to be the duck and the, the cassoulet and, and in the south of France. Mm -hmm. If you go to Provence, it's going to be the seafood from from the Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. uh, the Loire is a beautiful cuisine. You, you, will, you will love it. If you are cruising uh, through France, I know there's a, a, a variation uh, that you can do, and that's once again something that, that we share. And, and thank yes, you once again I've, for being in my book. I have enjoyed the, the scenic cruise myself uh, very much. What are your tips for making the most of your cruise? Well, first, don't take too much long, uh, luggage. So you can shop more? Yeah, but it is so easy. Those cruises are always in the good months of the year. I mean, you can get chilly in the evening, but it's so easy to buy a jumper, to buy something. Yeah, it's all around you. Something like that. Um, to make the, the, the most of a cruise is to, if the ship uh, stops at a port and there is a, a town, you should visit that, that village. Get out, get Lots into it. Lots of people stay, stay on board because they're... Because if a, a ship on a river stops somewhere, that means that there's been ships stopping there for a long time. That means mm -hmm. that there's a history in the village. That means that the village is, uh, has got restaurants, it has got things like that. And I think at least, at least one night during the cruise, when there is no special programs, you should go and eat mm -hmm. in one Locally. of those villages. Locally, yes. And come back to the cruise for the late evening show and have a, a drink at the bar and stay, stay up doing a little bit of dancing. <laughs> uh, we should do a cruise together. May we? We shall. Um, well, we. Oh, there's plenty of opportunity we to work on, on themes. We. Um, and, you know, like uh, uh, get on the bikes, on the bicycle. I and they also have nice. e-bikes on, on the cruises yes. too, so they're easy and everyone so can easy. do it. Everyone can go on those bikes. I've been on, on the bikes myself. I've seen people on the cruise that just don't join any uh, of the, you know, the activities, but just get a bike 
That's what they do. We, um, well, that's great because you can eat more. Yes. Because yeah. you'll burn it off with a bike tour. <laughs> yes. And eating is one of the pastimes of cruising. <laughs> and the joy of travel. Uh, taste the local wines on the cruise because uh, they are very conscious. Uh, well, I have, you know, I'm no cynic more than, than in the mm. body. They are very conscious of serving the wines from the regions. And in France, the wines medium levels are very good because the French wine are made to drink, mm -hmm. you know, like pronto now, or they are released to drink, mm -hmm. not released 10 years before you should drink them, mostly, unless you pay a fortune and you have a seller. While you're listening, why not add some travel to your inbox? Sign up for my weekly travel updates at journeystocome.com. Now... Yes, yeah. I, I must ask about when you mentioned cycling and the TV show, uh, because a lot of people um, uh, know you, of course, from TV, but something that was uh, has been a great success for you is your show on SBS during the tour yes. to France. And that, it, had a, it had an interesting origin to that show. I have people say to me now, oh, if you've seen Gabriel, tell him how much I love him during the um, Tour de France, and they watch the Tour de France for your section, for your yes, for your yeah. your, well, your tips nice. and your yeah. guidance, but it wasn't always the case. No, well, early on, because it was um, when, when I proposed the show to SBS, I actually proposed it um, at the beginning uh, because it was proposed to the sport department mm -hmm. that showed the, the fabulous, you know, coverage of the Tour de France, and at the beginning. Uh, you know, I mean, once it was accepted, the management thought it was a good idea, but the, the, the cycling fanatics, they thought that I was taking time from the race, which I wasn't because the telecast was not starting mm -hmm. before, before mm -hmm. that. Uh, and was your intention to, to paint the picture, to introduce Absolutely. you to this is where we're going to be today, I, give it I, some depth? I have always been surprised in Australia, and this is your region, that uh, when you are outside Melbourne, lots of people don't realize that Geelong is actually on the seaside, mm, mm. you know, elsewhere. They're not sure where it is exactly. They all know the Great with Ocean Road. We saw the coverage that we have on television with football for all those years with Geelong on television nationally. Yeah. For the last 50 years, some people still don't know that it is because we don't take advantage of a situation with sports where the Tour de France has taken advantage of showing the best, the most beautiful part of France. Mm. And I knew it that more than half of the people watching the Tour de France love didn't looking. watch it for the race. Yes. Because the race is wonderful. I love the race, personally. It's technical, it's strategy, it's amazing. But if you don't understand that, you can still be seduced by that village, that hilltop village, by mm. that, that mountain, by the Alps, by the Provence. It is the sort of, of thing that. that you do look at and when you watch it, you go, oh, look at that mountain. Yes. Oh, did you see that pass by? And, yeah. Oh, look at the chateau on the right. Oh, oh yes. And they explain now that there's a book published for the commentators about this chateau oh, really? was uh, established by Francois, you know, the first for his wife, uh, you know, and, and so on. So that people get... But at the beginning, that cooking segment was kind of... They said, no, we don't want cooking in a sports show. And then slowly, after two or three years, they loved it. They realized it was short. They realized that if the tour was in Provence, 
before they, they watch the race, they know that it is the region in France that has olive oil, it is where you get almonds, it is where you get tuna, it's where you get the beautiful fish of Provence, the salad niçoise, and so on. And then they already gone to France and then they could watch the race. I must say, you and I have been at an event for a Toute France, uh, who they do these fantastic French dinners. It's such a treat to go to these things. And I remember one year they had the, the man that maps the Tour de France, the, oh, the yes. man that organised the tour. And, and of course the question, I remember he got up on the stage and he had blue teeth he'd been having so much wine <laughs> and he was in the best mood and of course the question is how do you plan the tour and he goes I go down to my cellar and I see where do I need more wine from <laughs> and that was the essence of it he's like I just plan it according to the wine that I need that's the path we'll take well it travels it, it crosses the wine regions a fair bit I must say this is the last year of the TV show, is that yes, right? Yes, yeah. it is for me because it is a demanding show oh, yeah. uh, to, to do because I've produced it. So it's, it's a seven months job for me during the year and uh, I want to do other things. After 15 years, it's good. You know, it has been a wonderful... I've been in France for the last 10 years uh, to, to record it before we, was, we were producing it from Australia, from the terrace of a restaurant. It has been the most amazing journey for me. I know France so well. I know France more than my brothers and sisters that are living in France. You say that now is your time to do other things. So that leads me to what else do you have in store? What are you looking forward to? Well, I'm still interested to do uh, television in mm. terms of a professional life. But mm. I don't want to, uh, I, you know, I'm 64. I don't want to physically work long hours that that makes you too tired you know mm. i think you i'm healthy i'm lucky you are and so i want to stay that way mm. and i want You've got to, grandchildren now yes mm. yeah which is wonderful mm. you know I, I mean it's wonderful to have kids and it's wonderful to have grandchildren and if you you know last weekend we were i was playing soccer you know with just for fun with my grandson and i could do it mm. you know i've got to be careful not to do a hammy, <laughs> but um, no, it's good. It's I think I think that there's a stage in your life where you need to put your career a little bit, you know, you need to slow down and then look at because there's so many things to do. So many there's so many places I want to go. Mm, mm. Want Our bucket to, list is still yes, ever yes, evolving. Uh, yes, uh, we are planning to do to do uh, one of the scenic cruise on the Seine next year. Oh, beautiful. And perhaps take a group. Yes. So that would be nice. Oh, thank you. Let us know. Yes, let, I let, let us you know. know. let you know. The interesting thing for you and I together is that we've both been able to make our passions our professions. Yes. Um, and and I'm, I'm picking up from your whole conversation is that there really has never too much been a plan, but it's always you've been able to combine your yes. joys in life. Well, I think, you know, you put, uh, it's very much like when you plant a seed, you water it at the beginning, hoping that you get a little tree. And then after that, the, the tree, the trunk becomes solid. And then after that, uh, the, you know, it goes into branches and, you know, with the branches, there's so many things you can do, like, like you, mm. you know, doing mm. what we do today, or doing a television show, or doing a wonderful MC job, but you have that trunk to come back to, and even if it, there's a windy day, the trunk will stay there with the roots well into the ground. Maybe that branch will, broke, will break because 
television show will get hacked mm. or, you know, something happens. You've got that skill but set. But you still have something else. And just the knowledge of all those things will create another branch, something you don't even know will happen today, but mm. will be uh, another thing. So, and as you get older, you don't care about what you have done 30 years ago, 25 years ago. You want to have a new branch. If there is no new branch, it's not much fun. You don't want to revisit that whole branch. Beautifully said. I should almost wrap it up on that, but I've got one last selfish question. Could you please just let us know your favourite places uh, to, um, to enjoy French cuisine? Uh, I, because we, we listen all, all over the world to this podcast, but where are your favourites in Australia? Oh, in Australia? Yeah. Well, Melbourne is great. Melbourne is great. Um, you know, like I mentioned, Philip. Mm -hmm. Philippe is a middle-of-the-road French restaurant. When I say middle-of-the-road, he's a, a, a classically trained chef and he's, he's modern, but he's not over-modern. That means that he's not going to impose 20 courses to his clients or, or 15 courses, which personally I can't take because I lose concentration. Mm. I, find, I find that too much. Mm. Uh, and his, his cooking is, is just extraordinary. What's the location? It's... Uh, what is, uh, St. George's Parade. Thank you. In the city, it's um, it's not uh, not far. far. It, it goes on to Collins Street. Mm -hmm. In Sydney. In Sydney. Take oh, us around. You don't have to oh, pick any, but no. You know what? Uh, with Angie had a special birthday last year, and, and we went to the Opera House um, to um, to the restaurant of Peter. What's his name? Um, it's a, the Opera House restaurant, which was just fabulous. Uh, Benelong? Benelong. Mm. That was so good because it's the place mm, and mm. the cooking is wonderful. I know the little restaurant that I like in Sydney is, is Felix. Oh, of course, of course. Felix, uh, on Oxford I Street. Love, I love that too, love the energy. Felix. Yes, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's great. Um, I mean, in Melbourne, we have got 50 good restaurants. You know, mm. There's great Italian restaurants, there's great Asian restaurants. We, we are very lucky. A young person uh, in year nine asked me, is multiculturalism ever a bad thing? But I, I don't know what your thoughts you are. No. You can't go wrong. Variety it's never a bad thing. Of life. It's a bad thing for those that are scared, that you know, can't bear having a, you know, a Chinese shop next to them or because they feel scared that they won't be... But no, no, multiculturalism is, is the most amazing thing, especially for... Uh, that, that's the sad thing about Brexit in, in theory, is that what I liked about Brexit is that, uh, before that, is that an English person, a young person, could go and work anywhere in Europe, mm, and a, mm. a European could go and work in England. Open borders. Open borders. That's what the world should be, you know, not that complication of, yes, we accept you, but we don't accept you, and all of that. It's sad. On a positive note, how do you explain the joy of travel? Oh, very simple. Let's say you spend six months of your life in Melbourne. Every day you do something and your life might be good. And you spend two months or ten days on the, on the river or traveling. Ten years later, you remember those ten days, mm. but you have no idea what you did during those six months. <laughs> So true. You remember that visit to uh, Avignon. You remember seeing the bridge from the river. You remember uh, Vienna, that concert mm -hmm. that you had, uh, you know, on 
with the Viennese orchestra, you remember tasting that chocolate cake in Vienna or things like that, but you, so that's what it's, it's what it leaves with you. And planning a holiday. I mean, I could see you were smiling just writing <laughs> the name of a place. Go you were I'm already go gone there. <laughs> well, Gabriel Gatte, um, we are excited for whatever branches you create in your future. And thank you for just sharing a little slice of your passions with us today. Aujourd'hui, aujourd'hui, merci beaucoup. Merci et bon voyage. Et tout. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Journeys to Come. If you want any more information on the places that we visited or the people we spoke to, then visit our website, journeystocome.com, for full details.